Welcome to the never-ending quest for clarity. This is Loving Liberty with Brian Hyde. Well, hello there and welcome to Loving Liberty. Hour two now underway. By the way, phones are open. 801-331-8113. I hope you had a chance to tune in in the last hour. If you didn't, I want you to, to go find the podcast for January 27th. And I, I, I tapped into a resource that I haven't used often, and, and maybe I should use it a little bit more. But I have about nine hours of interviews that I recorded with uh, Lavoy Finicum. Now, today would have been his 59th birthday. Unfortunately, four years ago yesterday, he was killed in Oregon by state troopers and FBI agents acting under the suspicion that this man was somehow a threat in that uh, he could not be controlled by the powers that be. Now, people who know the story understand there was a lot more to this than simply, you know, he was an out-of-control guy. He certainly wasn't. The man was a patriot. The man was... uh, well, he, he was a good, God-fearing family man, and, uh, and more, more important than that, a good neighbor to everyone within his circle of influence. But it didn't stop lies, half-truths, and, uh, well, propaganda from combining against him to, uh, to put into motion some, some truly horrific events. And so last hour, I was able to share some excerpts from the last interview that I did with him on the radio. This was when I was in Cedar City and uh, Lavoie showed up, uh, you know, by surprise. He, he showed up and and uh, surprised me on January 13th of 2016. He and Ryan Bundy had driven down. Not the kind of thing you would expect, right? If they were in a standoff, if there were guns pointed both directions, you know, between the police and them, you would think nobody would be coming or going, right? Well... It, uh, <laughs> you know, it turns out that the narrative sometimes is is a little bit trickier than than what we have been led to believe. But in this case, they were freely coming and going as were every other person who was uh, attend who was going out to the refuge or coming back. So I have a couple other things I want to move on to for uh, for this hour of the program thought I would start with, uh, there was an article that a friend of mine had posted about, uh, we need to stop assuming progress is always positive. Now, how many politicians do you know that would ever run on the idea that, look, I'm really not that, uh, that keen on progress, right? That would seem regressive. That would seem like something that uh, would prevent them from ever being seriously considered as a candidate. Wait till you hear what Anders Koskinen has to say on intellectualtakeout.org. But listen to the, some of the names that, that he puts forth, and then you'll start to understand why progress isn't always positive. Franco, Mussolini, Stalin, Hitler, Castro, Mao Zedong, Pol Pot. His point here is that the 20th century was full of dictatorships which reached new heights of cruelty and butchery never imagined in centuries prior. Now, unfortunately, this cruelty flies in the face of the American belief that progress is undeniable and a decidedly positive force in America or in human history, rather. And so he asks the question, how did we ever come to the assumption that society progresses as it moves along? 
And why do we view our predecessors and forefathers as morally inferior to ourselves in this supposedly enlightened age? Now, I understand not everybody holds that point of view, but enough people do that this is worthy of tackling. I think I mentioned last week my friend Connor Boyack had had an excellent essay about how we tend to to discount those who came before because we can pick one aspect or maybe a couple of bad aspects of their life and reduce the person to those aspects. Well, Thomas Jefferson, yeah. Sure, he wrote the Declaration of Independence, and sure, we all get the day off on the 4th of July, and, you know, sure, America became its own country, and sure, it was government based on, you know, the consent of the governed there to protect our God-given rights, but the guy was a slave owner. And so to them, that's all he will ever be. Well, he was a slave owner, and, you know, George Washington, the same thing. They tend to forget that uh, (laughs) we're dealing with people who are very multifaceted, much like you and I, at least we should be multifaceted people. We have our failings. We have our strengths. It would be nice if we could be remembered, though, for the positive contributions that we have made to the world. Going back to Anders Koskinen's article here, he says, lest we think this is a mindset that only afflicts today's younger generations. Let's take a look at H. I'm sorry, G. K. Chesterton's Chesterton's The Everlasting Man, published back in 1925, which was a rebuttal to H. G. Wells' The Outline of History. See, Chesterton took issue with Wells' depiction of human development and civilization. Using ancient Egypt as an example, Chesterton dissects the notion that progress of humanity and civilization is an inevitable march towards greater freedom, happiness, and prosperity. Here's how Chesterton put it, quote, It is emphatically not true that it, meaning the state, was most despotic in the earliest age and grew more liberal in a later age. The practical process of history is exactly the reverse. It is not true that the tribe began in the extreme of terror of the old man and his seat and spear. It is probable, at least in Egypt, that the old man was rather a new man, armed to attack new conditions. His spear grew longer and longer, and his throne rose higher and higher as Egypt rose into a uh, complex and complete civilization. He says, this is what I mean by saying that the history of the Egyptian territory is in is in this the history of the earth and directly denies the vulgar assumption that terrorism can only come at the beginning and not at the end end quote what an interesting way of looking at it you see for Chesterton the consolidation of power by the state may have some benefits but they come at a cost Individuals cede their freedom and self-determination to the state in exchange for security and stability. The larger and more complex the state and civilization, the greater the power needed to exercise any degree of control over it. And again, going back to what Chesterton said here, we do not know what was the very first condition of the more or less feudal amalgam of landowners, peasants, and slaves in the little commonwealth beside the Nile. But it may have been a peasantry of an even more popular sort. What we do know is that it was by experience and education that little commonwealths lose their liberty, that absolute sovereignty is not something merely ancient but rather relatively modern, and it is at the end of the path called progress that men return to the king. End quote. So throughout history, says Anders Koskinen, the greater emergence of the state required greater amounts of power to control its citizens. 
Much has been promised in the name of the common good only to end in genocide, famine, and failure. Humanity isn't destined to reach a higher moral plane with each successive generation. Each individual human must fight to make that happen. And the paths to figuring out how to do so and what to fight for are not as straightforward as some would have us believe. He says we really shouldn't look down so much on previous generations of humanity. In many instances, human, or rather history has proven them to be far more moral and free than those who came after them. I don't know why it's, it's such a popular thing, but I, I see this too. I see that tendency to, well, everything that came before us was wrong. We have to denounce it. We have to proclaim our superiority over whatever happened before. And, and it's easy to reduce people to caricatures, especially when they're not around to defend themselves. I mean, come on, the dead, we can speak evil of them all we want. It's not like they're going to say anything. But if you, look at to, if you look at it from the standpoint of, look, human nature itself, has it really changed? The answer is a very clear and resounding no. The same things that tempted people thousands of years ago still tempt people today. They still wrestle with the same issues of honesty and power and self-control and so forth. But somehow we want to think, oh, we're different. We know more. We have iPhones, for crying out loud. That makes us better. Except, really, it, it doesn't. The problem here is that we forget sometimes that most people, and yes, this would even be those who lived in the Dark Ages or in times where slavery was the norm or where travel by horse was how things were done. They were simply people trying to do the best they could under the circumstances into which they were born. And I would submit to you that we are often found in the very same situation. We're trying to do the best we can in the situation that we've been born into. Now, we have some advantages. We also have some disadvantages. I mean, I'm guessing that uh, a coronavirus-like illness would have taken a little bit longer to spread in the years before, say, jet travel. Now, look at it. Dominating the headlines. People are panicking. Seen anybody out in public wearing, you know, a face mask yet? Well, hang on, because I'm, I'm guaranteeing it's not too far away. Cut some slack to the people who came before you. Yes, they made mistakes. And you and I are making mistakes, too. And it's a pretty fair bet. Someone down the line, maybe 100 years from now, maybe 500 years from now, is going to be looking at us and the role that we played and asking, what the heck were they thinking? Why couldn't they see where they were wrong? Welcome back to Loving Liberty, 801-331-8113. If you'd like to get something off your chest, that's the number. I'm no Fraser Crane, but, uh, but I am listening. And we might even have some fun with it. 801-331-8113. So there's a lot of bad news. I don't know if you've noticed this, but uh, most, of, uh, most of what's going on news-wise seems, uh, seems to appeal to our sense of shock and horror. And I, I don't know if uh, I don't know if that's intentional or not. I'm trying to think, a friend of mine posted a, a very interesting graphic earlier today that uh, that really 
it, it jumped out at me because it 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 seemed to illustrate all of the the tendencies we have to to be outraged over the wrong things. I got to think, uh, I'll have to see if I can find it. To, I mean, look, among the things it talked about, uh, I'm sure you have heard, act, you've heard talk about, you know, the, uh, the sickness, the coronavirus. Oh, you know, this is, how terrible is that? Impeachment, that's got people all outraged. And of course, uh, you know, there's, there's just no shortage of things that, that are there to make us angry. But the question I have for you is, do we have to be? Is it a choice? There's a great article here from, uh, this is from Brian Kaplan. And I think it's probably as timely a message as you're likely to hear today in that it's about never stop being a good person because of bad people. And one of the surest ways that I know to, to feel like the world is a dangerous, scary, awful place and everybody hates you and wants to kill you is just, you know, gorge yourself on a diet of whatever the media is pumping out at any given moment. Look, I'm, I'm not trying to be I'm, I'm not trying to be accusatory here, although I'm sure it sounds like I'm pointing the finger. Ah, the media, the media. But you got to understand that what gets people to look, what gets people to click, what gets them to read or to watch the content is something that hooks them in. And maybe this will surprise you. Maybe it won't. But anger and fear are two of the most powerful motivators to get us to click on something. Does that shock you at all? I mean, it's, it's definitely appeal to our, an appeal to our baser nature. Not as much as, you know, a you know, pair of bare breasts or something. I mean, some, some advertising just goes for the salacious, oh my goodness, you know, uh, Carl's Jr., I'm not picking on them necessarily, but there was a time where their commercials, I haven't seen any for a long time, so I don't know if they still do this, but their commercials, uh, they made they made Charlie's Angels seem, uh, you know, less like Jiggle TV than anything. I mean, it, was, it was crazy. It was so blatant, but there was a purpose behind it, and the purpose was it was to get attention and get you to look and, and uh, who knows, maybe even get you a little bit outraged and talking about him. Huh, look at what I'm doing right now. You know, if you're driving by a Carl's Jr., maybe maybe the urge is hitting. The bottom line, though, base things tend to appeal to us in base ways. And if if you're not in the habit of, of rising above it or, you know, going past it and, and, and not even acknowledging it, it can be very tricky. One of the most dangerous things, though, is and, and I see this a lot, people who feel hopeless because they see all the bad things or all the, the negative things that are being reported. Oh, well, you know, this person killed this many people and a missile attack here and a plane crash there. And, you know, it's tragedy, horror, all this stuff, you know. And, and of course, here's the media telling you, here's how you must feel about this. And you must think this about this. I could see where people would become jaded. So listen to Brian Kaplan's message. Never stop being a good person because of bad people. Don't let the world turn you bitter. He says, no matter how hard you try, you can't control everything. The world won't always be kind to you. There will always be people who will deliberately hurt you for no good reason. And that's okay. You may not be able to control what they do and say, you can control how you react to it. Now, I know on one level, you're going, well, that's a very mature attitude. On the other hand, you're saying, but I'm angry or I'm hurt. and I really want to lash out. And that's completely normal. 
We all feel that way. But consider his message here. Brian Kaplan says, life is too short to spend all your energy trying to change other people's opinions of you. Truth is, he says, it's impossible to shield yourself from bad people. They will always worm your way, worm their way rather into your life. In fact, bad people will seem at first as if they're good people with good intentions until they hurt you. But just because you meet a couple of bad people doesn't mean there's no longer any point in being a good person. So instead of pouring all your energy and building walls up, he says, remind yourself of these five things. Be good just because. There's already too many bad things happening in the world, too much greed, envy, anger, revenge. Why would you want to add any more? And then he says, don't let the world turn you bitter. Don't allow the harshness and selfishness of others corrupt you. Remind yourself that there's still so much good in the world. There are people who live their lives in service, making sure they contribute something positive in this life. So be one of them. Be good. Just because it's what the world needs more right now. Secondly, he says, be good so you can live a good life. Don't be good just because you have an agenda. If you're being good to others because you expect something in return, it defeats the purpose. Be good because you want to be. Be good because you want to influence the lives of others. Live a good and fulfilled life knowing that you're contributing to the lives of those around you. Besides, he says, letting someone else's bad behavior turn you into a bitter, spiteful person doesn't make you strong. Allowing a bad experience to get to you is not winning. It's defeat. So hold your head up no matter how hard it is. Don't let the sweetness of retaliation tempt you. Focus on yourself because you are a strong person who will not let the world defeat you. Third, he says, remember, an eye for an eye will leave the world blind. If every good person allows every bad person to turn them bad, where will that leave us? In this case, Mohandas Gandhi's words couldn't ring any truer. An eye for an eye will leave the world blind. If we allow every bad experience to turn a cynical, cynical rather, what will be left of the world? If you hurt every other person in your life just because you've been hurt before, does that contribute in some way? No, it only makes things worse. So remember, let it end with you. Whatever bad treatment or pain someone else has caused you, let it end there. Don't allow it to continue spreading its evil elsewhere. You can turn that bad experience into something good by making sure it doesn't continue anywhere else. By the way, there's a corollary to this. I've seen this pop up a few times as, as a meme on Facebook. I think it's really worthwhile, though. And it's something to the effect of don't let your dislike of someone else make you recruit other people to your side. There's something really profound about that. I'm still processing it because I know I've been guilty of it. Don't let your dislike of someone make you stoop low enough that you actually want to recruit other people to dislike them. All right, number four, know that kindness, honor, and truth will always prevail. Yes, the world seems like a bad place, says Brian Kaplan. There are so many things happening left and right that could convince you that it's all hopeless, that you can't make the world a better place. But he says, I think that's just because we focus on the bigger picture. If we constantly remind ourselves to look at the little things, the smiles people give us, the person who gave up their line in the queue, the hugs strangers give, if we remind ourselves that small acts of good can make a difference, then we'll all believe that good things do happen everywhere, 
all the time. I think I've missed one here. I thought he had five of them, but I'm only seeing four. Well, nonetheless, (laughs) this is solid advice. And even though it's really good advice, and you probably recognize, yeah, that uh, that, that does make a fair amount of sense, it doesn't always mean that it's easy to put into practice. Somebody did one of those, uh, hey, tell about yourself things on, on Facebook the other day. And I mean, it's, you know, uh, you know, talk about uh, what are what is your favorite song or what book have you read that made the biggest impact in your life? And who is your greatest nemesis? And one friend wrote every other driver on the road. And I had to laugh because I thought I get that. <laughs> and it feels that way sometimes. So, yeah, I still have a lot of work to do, but. Thank you, Brian Kaplan. This was sound advice. Stay with us. We're going to check news headlines. We'll be back. This is Loving Liberty. Trusted voices of truth and insight. This is the Loving Liberty Radio Network. Hey, welcome back to Loving Liberty, 801-331-8113. Can I ask a question? Actually, I want an answer for this. So 801-331-8113. How scared are you of the coronavirus? Just curious. I mean, look, even in the newscast that just happened like 30 seconds ago, they're talking about it. Oh, why it may be underreported. There may be thousands, tens of thousands more infected. And I'm not, look, I'm not an epidemiologist. I'm not claiming anything. But can I just point out, the news cycle seems to want us scared at all times. There's always something. Russia, Russia, Ukraine, impeachment, World War III with Iran, coronavirus. And then you throw in a celebrity death or something like this. and, And you got all the fixings of this powerful narrative maker that's built on nothing of value. Nothing of substance. It's just, it's to keep us scared, keep us off balance, up in arms. By the way, for the record, I mean, I, I've I've not done a ton of research here, but um, I've seen a number of different sources that have said this coronavirus still appears to be a normal virus. I mean, it is cold and flu season after all. So I'm just asking the question, is it possible that more is being made of this than, than is justified? And if the answer is, well, yeah, possible, okay, why would someone want to do that? Why would they want us to be scared? Just a thought. Let's go to the phone. Hi, welcome to Loving Liberty. In answer to your question, Brian, absolutely they are blowing it way out of proportion as far as I'm concerned. It's like SARS. It's like everything else they've done this with. And the question you got to ask is, who benefits at the other end? I can guarantee you there's a paycheck for a pharmaceutical industry somewhere mixed up in all of this. Well, I'm having trouble hearing you through the uh, level five hazmat suit and respirator that you're speaking through. No, I'm I'm just kidding. It's <laughs> it just I mean, I, look, I remember the, the SARS scare. What, about 10 years ago or so, maybe a little more? A swine flu when it came flu- through, you know, it's. It just always seems like there's something. There was talk of Ebola just a few years ago, and then suddenly it's gone. Huh. Well, the danger must be over. Well, here's, here's something. I had some thoughts on this, and I'm going to run by you. It's amazing that we had these gun rallies that were popping up. And now keep in mind, uh, here goes my conspiratorial, uh, conspiratorial hat 
being placed on my head, which is fine with me because nine times out of ten I wind up being proven correct. Um, we had the gun rights rally in Virginia last week, right? Okay, that was on Monday. All of a sudden on Tuesday, bam, here we go. I mean, it wasn't more than about 24 hours after all that stuff went down with the gun rights rally. And about that time that that story broke, this is when we were also hearing about gun rights rallies that were going to be held in Oregon. The, the, the right to keep and bear arms and people waking up to that was spreading like wildfire. What better way than to get people's attention off of all of that and to get them into something, get them absolutely scared to death so that they're not even thinking about that anymore? That's number one. Then number two, there's always a vaccine. You know, it's all of a sudden now they're working on a vaccine, which I absolutely will refuse to take. Um, I choose to fight my battles through nutrition, not through vaccines and some unknown substance with all kinds of chemicals and everything being injected into my arm. So um, That's a delightfully subversive attitude you have there, Sam. I love it. Absolutely. It's, uh, I, I'll tell you what, I was very blessed, Brian. When I was uh, younger in, in school, that you know, goes back quite a ways. That goes at least about, you know, because I'm, I'm going on 65. But when I was in school during my last years of school, I had a teacher that was absolutely brilliant and was teaching us even back then that a lot of times uh, nothing is ever as it seems. And uh, it, there's just so many lessons that he taught that be too much to go into here, but uh, he, I'll tell you, I was so blessed to have him. He's, he's, I don't even know if he's still alive. I've been trying to get a hold of him. His, his name is Richard Adams, and he was the best teacher I could have ever had. And uh, I was slow on a few subjects uh, when I was in school, so uh, I was put in that class. They were called special help classes for those of us that were slow in some subjects. I'll tell you what, I learned more in that special help class than any high school kid would have ever learned in any regular classroom. Well, I I appreciate you taking that measured approach, and man, I I just I I hate it when people try to make me scared. Number one, because I I, I know I'm susceptible, and, and under the right circumstances, I might just give in. You might see me running around with a face mask on. You know, I don't want to well, be that here, guy. Here's the thing to think about in all this, Brian. First of all, number one, um, this this is all about more control for government and more profits for the pharmaceutical industry. That's that's the main thing out of this whole thing. The second thing is, rather than falling for the, um, for the vaccines and all this kind of stuff, just try to uh, supplement your diet with good probiotics, good vitamins, and good minerals, and you'll survive stuff a lot better than most of the people out there. Well, I'm a believer in the natural approach. Not that there's no place for pharmaceuticals, but I also have a little skepticism. Like you pointed out, it's it's very feasible that uh, there might be a pharmaceutical angle to this. Well, look, we have the vaccine for this, and we stand to make billions and billions of dollars based on the fears of people. Well, see, and that's it. Medicine has become a cartel, and that's where I have a problem. It's one thing to, you know, when you're having pneumonia or something, you need an antibiotic, for example. I always tell people, don't fool around with things like pneumonia or something like that. But short of that, just try to take care of yourself. Don't eat junk and uh, try to uh, take care of yourself through nutrition and uh, good vitamins and minerals, that kind of thing. 
good probiotics to keep your gut flora in check, and you'll survive a lot better than most of the people out there. The reason is, if this does cause problems for most people, it's going to cause problems for most people because they don't take care of themselves. I love it. Sam, thank you so much. You bet. God bless. Take care. All right. 801-331-8113. Look, I'm not telling you, hey, stop paying attention. Put your... uh, Put your, uh, you know, put your head in the sand and just ignore everything bad that might be going on. And and I'll, I'll tell you that there are times when you want to, if you're feeling that overload of of the the just negativity of, of so much of, of what's being reported to you. I get it. I guess uh, I, I, there's there has to be a balance. I want to be aware of what's going on in the world. I want to know the good and the bad. But you know what I actively seek? I look for the good things. I really do. I try to find the things that are actually uplifting and that will hopefully give me, you know, something of value. The stuff that uh, the stuff that doesn't bring value but only brings fear. Strangely enough, that's the most addictive. That's the that's what we crave. Now, see, I was going to start likening it to sugar because I'm, I'm seriously considering going on, you know, the the whole let's get off of sugar and get sugar out of my diet. My wife is doing this right now. But I wonder if I could do something similar with fear. It's an interesting exercise, and I don't know if I could do it. I mean, truth be told, some you might even think that I'm a fear pusher. Well, Brian, you were talking about crop failures and you were talking about this and that red flag laws and the whole nine yards. I get it. Some of the news is bad news, and, and I believe reality needs to be faced. You know, reality being everything that you wish were otherwise, uh, uh, but, but that still remains. But I think where our hearts are leading us also has a lot to do with how we see the world. And I know people who look for the good in others. I try to do that myself. Sometimes it's easier than others. But you tend to find what you're looking for. If you are convinced everybody's a devil out there, everyone is you know, out to, to cause some kind of harm, you're going to see plenty of examples of people who are, in fact, predatory and uh, just bad human beings. On the other hand, if you look for people who are kind, people who are helpful, people who are willing to put themselves out to, to lift those around them who need it, You'll see that as well. Better still, you may actually start to notice instances in which you have the chance to lift somebody in need. I think the best part about that, and I don't, I don't mean to get all metaphysical on you or anything, but um, the people I know who are the most practiced at recognizing when someone else is in need and recognizing, hey, I can help this person are people who approach it from the viewpoint that uh, there are folks out there sincerely praying to God for some kind of help, something that will help them. And when you see the opportunity to be the answer to someone's prayer, you don't know for sure that they were praying for it, but when you see that someone has a need, isn't it just a little bit humbling to think that maybe you recognize that or you were in a position to help because you were an answer to somebody's prayer. I mean, it's not something to get all puffed up about and walk around with your chest stuck out and, yeah, don't get much better than me. 
seems to me, though, it could serve as a very good reminder that uh, not only is life better when we're working to help take care of each other, but it's also pretty good when you think that uh, maybe there is a loving creator watching over all of us and willing to send help if we can just humble ourselves and ask. Welcome back to Loving Liberty, 801-331-8113. Please feel free to join me on the air. <laughs> you know, it's funny, and, and I only mention this in passing. I'm not trying to start any rumors or anything, but as much as I'm saying, hey, you know, take the take the whole coronavirus thing, you know, with a grain of salt. Don't, uh, don't get too wound up or too scared about it. Um, a couple things I have to share. Number one, somebody is really working overtime because I've seen some great memes come up. Uh, one of a guy passed out next to an empty case of Corona beer. Ah, the original coronavirus. Okay, that was good. Uh, the other one here, did you know the coronavirus goes really well with Lyme disease? But a boom. No, here's the thing that struck me as funny. In my neighborhood right now, there's uh, there's some kind of a bug going around. I don't know, probably just a cold, maybe a stomach flu or something like that. But uh, it is it is hitting a lot of the neighbor kids and a lot of the neighbors and so forth. And so all the talk about, well, you know, this may be a global pandemic in the making and so forth. And crazy as it sounds, you know, one by one, it looks like all the families on my block are starting to get sick. I don't think it's the coronavirus, not not for a moment, but... There was just a little bit of irony here as I'm telling you now, simmer down. Don't don't get all bent out of shape over the idea that, you know, there's some kind of super bug on the loose here. At the same time, every time someone comes to my door, I'm kind of like, uh, I'm just going to talk to you from behind the glass if that's OK, because <laughs> I really don't want to get sick. I don't. I, I, I had to deal with shingles over the last couple of weeks, and and, and I don't recommend it. I give it one out of five stars. It, it just it was not a really great illness, but it wasn't the worst thing in the world either. But I have to say, I'm, I am a little bit aware now. If a, if a neighbor kid comes by and he's sneezing or if someone's like, oh, yeah, my poor kid was up throwing up all night. I'm just like, well, our conversation's over. It's been good talking to you. If you want to give me a call later, maybe we could talk then. But whew, maybe I'm making myself paranoid. Hey, Annie Holmquist, who is the editor of intellectualtakeout.org has a marvelous column published last week, and maybe you don't feel young and hip enough to, to think this applies to you, but the question she asks, are you a doxer or a philosopher? Now, if you're not sure what a doxer is, sit tight. We'll explain this. And he says, we recently passed the anniversary of the highly publicized encounter between Covington Catholic High School student Nick Sandman and Native American activist Nathan Phillips. Initial reports of the incident, including those from news sources such as CNN and the Washington Post, maligned Sandman as a disrespectful young man. Sandman was introduced to the wonderful world of doxing, which is defined as the process of searching for and publishing private or identifying information about a particular individual on the Internet, typically with malicious content. Sandman was temporarily forced out of his home and school as a result of being doxxed. Now, doxing incidents such as Sandman's are becoming more prevalent due to the instantaneous nature of social media. An average citizen can quickly become a vengeful spirit via a few quick Google searches doxing anyone who crosses his path. And she says because of this phenomenon, 
I found the following paragraph from Russell Kirk's The Roots of American Order quite interesting. Here's what Kirk said. The word philosopher means lover of wisdom. Also, there was a Greek word to describe the philosopher's opponent. That word is philodoxer. Philodoxer. I, I don't know if I'm saying it correctly. It means lover of opinion. That is an opinionated man suffering from vain wishes who passionately pursues illusion. Now, Annie Holmquist says, granted, our modern day term doxing doesn't appear to have its roots in the Greek philodoxer. Nevertheless, she said, I found the similarities between the two fascinating. Both set up the individual as an expert, grasping at minute threads of evidence in order to make himself or his opinion predominant. Kirk expands his portrait of the philodoxer, explaining the results of such such behavior. Quote, out of the doxa, the false opinion fanatically held comes disorder in the soul and disorder in the body politic. End quote. Have we not seen this? I mean, think about this. Wasn't it uh, Tucker Carlson, commentator for Fox News, had an angry mob of, uh, I, I don't know if it was Antifa or if it was just social justice warriors, standing out there on his doorstep. He wasn't home. His wife was and his kid was home. Terrified. They've got strangers out there shouting, you know, we know where you live. We know where you sleep. I mean, it's kind of a backhanded threat, but it's a threat nonetheless. And these philodoxers, Kirk explains, are driven by the lust for power. That would accurately describe a mob, would it not? Those who opt for trickery or intimidation rather than righteous persuasion. And he also describes those who are impelled by their passions and low interests. Now, Annie Holmquist asks, is is this not an apt description of our time? So many grasp at power, seeking to climb the ladder of ambition by any means necessary. And oftentimes this climb involves pulling others down, such as today's doxers, using intimidation rather than logical principles in reasoned debate or discourse. Out of this comes a chaotic society in which an innocent, well-meaning individual such as Sandman may be harmed at a moment's notice. Now, Russell Kirk asked, how may this disorder be checked? By eunomia, he asks. That is, by righteous order, by disciplined harmony of a man's soul, which makes all things proper and sensible in the affairs of men. Now, maybe this will surprise you, maybe not. But, you know, George Washington made a very similar observation, noting that a nation's virtue is directly related to its happiness or lack thereof. Now, I'm not trying to read too much into this, but would, wouldn't the corollary to this be an unhappy people would more likely be an unvirtuous or vice versa people. An unvirtuous people would tend to be unhappy. I know it sounds like I'm pronouncing judgment on every unhappy person out there, but look at some of the movements out there, particularly the ones that would be prone to doxing and the whole cancel culture. What is it that drives them? It is not happiness. It's envy. And it's, it's this lust for revenge. As Annie Holmquist puts it, currently our nation seems immersed in unhappiness. Anger abounds not only amongst politicians, but also amongst citizens who choose to love their own opinions and lambast or dox those who hold opposing viewpoints. Now, she says, could we reverse this unhappiness if instead of choosing anger, intimidation and power in the vein of a philodoxer, 
which instead chose the path of a philosopher. Becoming a lover of wisdom will bring peace, not only peace with others, but also peace within our own souls. Now, if that seems overly simplified, oh, yes, yes, we're all going to be dancing arm in arm in the streets and stuff. I, I would say don't be so cynical. Don't discount what she's suggesting here. And I say this from the standpoint of someone who has observed and maybe wrongly observed this. I mean, I, I don't know. Maybe this doesn't hold true. But the people I know who don't feel the need to lash out when someone misrepresents their point of view or calls them names or falsely accuses them or something are the people who are content. They're secure in who they are, in what they stand for. They, at some level, they have paid the price to where they're, they're not so easily budged. You throw a name at them and they're not oh, clutching their pearls and you know trying to figure out what to do with themselves. Sometimes I think it breaks down this way. Saw a great cartoon. I actually shared this on Facebook over the weekend. There's a, there's a crossroads, and the sign says answers. If you go this way, you can have simple but wrong. And this is where outrage culture is going. Hate, division, intolerance, virtue signaling, group think, outrage. If you want to go the other direction, complex but right, there are books and magazines to be read. And it's a winding path, and it's an uphill path, and you want to be a critical thinker as you do that. The mob is, of course, storming down the simple but wrong pathway and right over the edge of a cliff. The critical thinkers who start with becoming informed, who are willing to pursue the complex but right answers, slowly wind their way uphill, up this winding path. Strenuous effort, no doubt, but at the end of that path, they find the truth. So what we have to be is willing to pay the price. To understand those things that are complex but right. As opposed to just simply jumping on the simple but wrong bandwagon answer and riding it over the edge of the cliff with the rest of the outraged crowd. Okay, I'm a simple guy, so maybe this is how... This is why it makes so much sense to me. But this seems like a really good way to look at things. Be a lover of wisdom. Be confident and know who you are. Know what you stand for. You will not feel the need to lash out or to otherwise return railing for railing when somebody upsets you or tries to upset you. In fact, uh, what they're going to find out is if you really are secure in what you know or what you think, they can push those buttons all day long because they're not connected to anything. Welcome to the Loving Liberty Radio Network. 